God's temple is holy, set apart for God's use in His presence. It's His possession. And that's why Paul is so concerned for the, for the church, because God is living in this community through His Spirit, and it can be corrupted or harmed by strife or division or boasting over human leaders. And so Paul appeals to the congregation to be responsible in the way that they view leaders, since they are the temple of God. And not just any temple, but the Holy of Holies. That's the same word that's being used. Welcome. This is Study Verse by Verse. Our teacher and pastor, Leighton Sheely, returns us to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Join us there. Spend a few moments with us and be encouraged to seek after Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for today's Study Verse by Verse. Here's our teacher and pastor, Leighton Sheely. In chapter 3, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes concerning rewards in the context of building the church. And God should never be given mediocrity. The preacher should always preach to the very best of his ability and study and learn how to preach better. The musicians should play to the best of their ability. The singers should sing to the best of their ability. The ushers should serve to the best of their ability. The school teachers, Sunday school teachers should teach to the best of their ability. Everything should be done to the best of our ability, all for the glory of God, because God deserves the very best. And then in, in verse 16, Paul explains why our workmanship is so important to God. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the that Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, the Greek word translated temple here is not the usual word, Huron, which refers to the whole temple, but rather nas, which speaks of the holy of holies, which is the part of the temple in which the Shekinah glory, uh, the visible perception of the presence of God, was manifest. The church is the holy of holies, where God abides. Jesus, who is God, said in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. And since God is present, he deserves nothing but the best. Now, one important insight that may be lost to you if you use a modern translation is the fact that the word here for you is plural. If you were in the South, they'd use the you all. If you're reading the King James Version, to be ye instead of thee or thou. The individual Christian is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and Paul talks about that in chapter 6 of this letter. But here, uh, the word is used in the plural. And what Paul is saying is, don't you know that together you are the Holy of Holies, where the glory and the reality of God are both enjoyed and perceived? In, in his writing to the Ephesians, Paul develops this analogy further telling the Ephesians that they should grow into a holy temple in the Lord. And he describes us as living stones. And the fact that we are living stones presents some interesting challenges. You see, dead stones just lay there, and, uh, and, and they fit together nicely. But living stones tend to squirm. And when they squirm, it causes friction, and friction can cause heat. When humans come together, friction results, and friction causes discomfort. And some people mistakenly think that God's desire for us in life is to be comfortable. And based on this misunderstanding, the presence of friction and, and the lack of comfort leads them to believe it's time for them to go someplace else. And so they leave. But sometimes God uses the friction of being together to knock off some of our hard edges and form us and shape us into the kind of people He wants us to be. That's why a mature believer says, okay, Lord, 
I'm not going to try to change my location or situation unless it's very clear that you want me to. I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to allow you to work through other people, informing me and allow me to irritate other people. Inform them. Now in America, we're conditioned to think of the church or the temple of God as a building or an organization. But in the New Testament, it is, it is called the ecclesia, the assembly of believers. In fact, for many centuries, the church didn't have buildings because the Christian faith was outlawed in the Roman Empire and people had to gather together in fields and catacombs and private homes. And so since the temple, the church, is the assembly of God, when someone tries to disassemble the assembly of believers through division, it is an attack on God's temple. And what God hath brought together, let no man divide. Verse 17 says, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. See, because we are God's temple, the holy of holies, and God's spirit lives within us, it explains the seriousness and the gravity of the offense of anyone who destroys, that is, corrupts, or mars, or spoils, or ruins God's temple, the church. Those who destroy God's church will be met with God's judgment. God will destroy them. The punishment fits the crime. If you harm God's church, God will harm you. Now, the word destroys, in if any man destroys, and the word destroy in God will destroy him, are the same word in the original language. What it says is, if someone hurts the church, God will hurt them. God's temple is holy, set apart for God's use in His presence. It's His possession. And that's why Paul is so concerned for the, for the church, because God is living in this community through His Spirit, and it can be corrupted or harmed by strife or division or boasting over human leaders. And so Paul appeals to the congregation to be responsible in the way that they view leaders, since they are the temple of God. The temple is the place where God lives. And when the temple comes under attack, God perceives that as a personal attack. When someone attacks our home, we perceive that as a personal attack. My family had just moved into a mobile home at the top of Fastenover over Pacifica. Uh, it was a school at that time. It's now been replaced by homes. We had one of the mobile homes at the far end. Our front yard was grass and gravel. One afternoon, I just happened to be home. Somebody in a pickup was coming across towards the mobile home. I wasn't expecting any company. It was a young man and his girlfriend in the cab of a truck. He got out in front of the mobile home and hit the gas and did donuts in front of our mobile home. And he was throwing up rocks that were hitting the side of the mobile home and hitting the glass, and I thought it was going to break the glass. I grabbed my keys, ran out the front door. He saw me come and took off. I chased him down and put him under citizen's arrest. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. The reason he did that was because he, he thought that the, he didn't know there was a new family in the place, and he had an ex-girlfriend he wanted to send a message to. But he attacked my home. And I considered an attack on me. And when somebody attacks God's home, God considers it an attack on God. Now, how might someone attempt to destroy God's temple? Well, there can be false teaching that undermines people's faith and knowledge of the Scripture. There can be rivalry that creates dissension and tensions and rips churches apart. 
There can be a weak teaching and discipleship that promotes an easy believism instead of total obedience to Jesus Christ and His Word. And because of that, there are many churches in America that are not healthy today. In fact, I am told that, that some 80% of the churches in America are either stagnant or in decline. Churches are under constant attack from within and without. There's over 3,500 churches in America that close their doors every year. The average-sized church is around 70 people. That means their ministry resources are very limited, and many pastors are unable to give their full attention to the ministering to their people because they have to work outside jobs in order to make ends meet. You see, it doesn't take much to damage or destroy a church. And we need to be in constant prayer for God's protection and provision for this church and for all of the churches in our area, our community, our nation, and around the world who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and study God's Word because we're on the same team. That's what Paul is saying. We're on the same team. Well, why should we care? Well, the answer is because God cares. And we should care about what God cares about. And God cares about His church and His churches. And there might be churches that we've given up on. We've thought they're just gone too far off the edge, and we've quit praying for them. But God has more grace than we do. And this church in Corinth was very messed up. But neither God nor Paul had given up on it. And we should be praying for churches long after we think we should have given up praying for those churches. And that's true with people as well. We should never give up praying for people, even though we think it's, it's a waste of our time. Don't ever give up. Now, in verses 18 through the end of the chapter, uh, Paul identifies the solution for uh, disunity, and the problem is found in correct thinking. To gain and maintain unity in the church, we must have the proper view of ourselves, of others, and of our possessions. The proper view of ourselves. 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no man deceive himself... Let no man deceive himself. Now, who is Paul writing to? The believers at Corinth, right? And so what does this warning infer? What does it suggest? What does it imply? That even believers can be self-deceived. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he's wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. What is Paul saying? He says God gets a special satisfaction out of messing with people who think they're smart. <laughs> Such wisdom is foolishness to God. In chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said, The message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, and here he states the flip side, the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. Well, what is the wisdom of this world? Well, even as small children, we're conditioned to think in terms of the wisdom and the values of this world. Things like good looks, uh, charming personalities, keen intellect, slick tongue, power, prestige, wealth, the ability to persuade, and so forth. And these are things that are highly esteemed in the world, but not necessarily in the sight of God. 
And people who look good based on the wisdom of this world are often quickly elevated into leadership positions in churches where if they are not spirit-led, they can absolutely wreak havoc. Someone looks good and speaks well and has some knowledge of the scripture and the ability to persuade, that person can destroy a church. Well, the need for discernment is keen here, isn't it? This has been Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely, our pastor here at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. If you have questions about the program, questions about the church, or our pastor, Leighton Sheely, we invite you to visit our website, highlands.us, and take advantage of the resource materials, information about the church, directions, service times, resource materials we have available. And you can also email us from there as well as pick up other contact information. Highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Tomorrow we'll close the week out in 1 Corinthians 3. Join us then for study verse by verse.